John chapter number 17, if you would stand with me as we read this portion, portion of Scripture, John 17, we'll begin reading in verse number 13. This is the Lord's Prayer here. In fact, look at verse number 1 before we read our text. It says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. And the, the next chapters here in the book of John are a narrative of what Jesus is saying to God the Father just before he goes to the cross of Calvary. Verse number 13, And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And that's where we're basing our message here today, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. I want to speak this morning on the subject of relational joy. This is part four of our series of how to have joy. Let's pray and then we'll be seated and get into the message. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this intercessory prayer that you have made for us. And uh, Lord, I thank you for caring for us. And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to have a relationship with you. We ask now your blessings on this time together. Thank you, Lord, for the singing, Lord, the congregational songs, the special music, the offertory. Lord, it's just been wonderful today, and your presence has been so sweet. We thank you for each and every one that has come today, and we pray that each and every one would have their needs met by the Holy Spirit and by the truth of God's Word. Lord, we've got a lot in this message today, and help us, Lord, to stay on track and to speak clearly and concisely. And Father, just feed us with your word and enlighten us with the Holy Spirit. Bring conviction as you see fit. Bring encouragement, bring instruction. Lord, you know the needs of each and every hearer, and we pray that those needs would be met. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. This morning I have... Really, I'm not preaching to you here this morning. I'd have to say that what I have to give to you here this morning is really, it's just teachy. Uh, I have some instruction here. We're talking about how to have joy. And the subject at hand today is relational joy. And this is a small portion of the Lord's Prayer, the real one. You know, a lot, a lot of times we think that the Lord's Prayer is our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Technically, that is not the Lord's Prayer That is the Lord giving a pattern prayer for the disciples. So technically it's the disciples' prayer or it's our pattern of prayer. This is the actual prayer that the Lord Jesus made to his heavenly Father. And we're talking about relational joy. A relationship is about how people relate to one another. Much of Jesus' prayer speaks of his disciples and how they relate to him. And then also how they relate to each other. And then 
we read quite a bit here this morning about how, as Jesus' disciples, how we relate to the world in which we live. We're not of this world. Jesus has saved us out of the world, and he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. To be sanctified means to be cleaned up and to be set apart. Listen, child of God, if you are saved, then you are not part of this world system. We're not supposed to think like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to smell like the world. And listen, all of those sanctifying categories that I just mentioned, none of those things will make you a child of God. They are rather the result of being God's children. We're royalty. And we're supposed to reflect that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to dive right into point number one because I've got four points here today. And I've got quite a little bit of scripture. We're going to be turning to half a dozen places in the Bible. And then I've got about, I've got a bunch of other verses that I'm going to show you on the screen. And the first thing that I want to draw your attention to, point number one, is the husband-wife relationship. In Proverbs 5, verse number 18, the proverb says, Let thy fountain be blessed, and watch this, rejoice with the wife of thy youth. That word rejoice certainly has something to do with joy. And there is a scriptural teaching that a marriage relationship is supposed to bring joy into our life. Now, having said all that, you may be sitting there going, whoa, what are you talking about, preacher? You've not been in my home. I understand that. I understand that the marriage relationship, it can, it can bring a lot of joy into our life. It can also bring a lot of problems, a lot of heartache, and a lot of grief. I understand that going right into this, and I also understand that the Lord understands this. And so please, buckle your seatbelt. I'm not getting ready to talk to you about a perfect marriage, all right? I'm not here to try to make you feel guilty because you fussed with your wife this morning. I'm not trying to make you feel bad for any marital conflict that you might be dealing with here today. I'm simply here to instruct you from the Word of God on how that our marriage relationships can indeed produce more joy in our life. Take your Bibles and go to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Once again, we're not talking about perfect marriages. We're talking about real marriages. And if you're married here today, now listen, if you're not married you know, some of you might be widows and you have no plans of ever getting married again, and, and I understand that. But you'll be able to relate to some things from the past, and then some of you are young and single and you're not married, but you know what? File it away. I promise you, you're going to need this someday. Amen, married people? Some married people agree. Most of the husbands out there, they said amen and they protected their ribs because their wife's sitting next to them. It's the way it works in church. I've been there. First Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 1 says, Likewise, ye wife... Now you might want to buckle your seatbelt for this. If you spent too much time in a news media and in front of the TV and watching cable and all of the sitcoms and programs, if you've spent a lot of time 
in, uh, in watching all that stuff, or maybe if you went to public school or went to a, a, a public university, that you might want to buckle your seatbelt because what we're getting ready to read is very controversial, sadly to say. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, there's a little principle there that, listen, I, I understand that not every marriage is where a husband and a wife are on the same page religiously or spiritually and all of that. That's, that goes with the territory. But listen, wives, the Lord's given you an admonition that you can make a difference in your husband's relationship with the Lord, not by fussing and nagging at him and trying to control him, but rather by being in subjection to him, by demonstrating to him that what God has done in your heart and in your life is very real and it's supernatural. Because, listen, wives being in subjection to husbands is not necessarily a natural thing. Even if that's your personality type, it's not always an easy thing. Verse number two, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair or of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Now, once again, I want to pause and comment on that. That word adorning is not talking about wearing God's, the Lord's not teaching Ladies, that you shouldn't dress up, that it's wrong to fix your hair or to put on a little bit of makeup or what, you know, but it's talking about adorning. And and I know as a Baptist preacher, I'm supposed to say something about putting paint on a barn right now. It just seems like that's what it always goes. I'm not going to go there. I did go there. But, But the key, seriously, from a Bible teaching doctrinal standpoint, the term adorning does not mean that you shouldn't ever wear any of those things, but it is saying that that's not what people should see when they look at you. It's You shouldn't be drawing attention to how you're dressed and being all fixed up. It should be, it should be at least somewhat modest, not just an essential basis, but also in plating of the hair and wearing of gold and you listen, you don't have to be flashy and you're not trying to look like a model and you're not trying to look like the magazines. You're just trying to look decent and you're, you're trying to look modest because it's not the outward appearance that matters. It's the hidden man of the heart. Watch this, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Listen, ladies, you can be beautiful by adorning a meek and a quiet spirit. You can in your personality and in your your temperament and in your spirit, you can be beautiful and it will last. It will grow. It can become prettier and prettier as time goes on. Anything that you do physically has a diminishing return on it. Have you seen celebrities who get a lot of plastic surgery when they get old? It's scary. Literally, it's scary. And, 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 you know, sometimes, and I've seen this, and please forgive me if I digress just a little bit. I have seen 
Hollywood stars. I've seen ladies that you just look at and say, wow, they are really pretty. And, and then they go and they pump their upper lip up. They, they, they inflate it. And then they can't talk. And you just look at it and go, why did you do that? You were prettier before. I don't get it. That's my hobby horse. So what are you trying to say, preacher? Ladies, please don't get a lip job. <laughs> but seriously, the, the Lord's not saying that you can't fix up and look decent for your husband or for other people. But don't adorn yourself with that. Don't, don't, don't overdo it. But rather, put your investment and your time and attention in something that's going to pay greater dividends. And that is adorning a meek and a quiet spirit, that hidden man. And verse number 5, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. I understand that this is so contrary to what the world is telling you here today. I mean, it is not only just a little... You're not talking about merging two principles. You're talking about two totally contrary principles. What I just read here today from the Bible, if I would have never made a single comment about it, that would have got me in hot water. Listen, I'm on. we're on live stream. This is going to be on the radio. And no doubt, just the fact that I read this passage of Scripture... That's going to catch some flack. I don't have to even interpret it. I don't have to comment on it. Just the fact that it's in the Bible. And you know what has happened today, brothers and sisters? Because of that, pastors and preachers are just ignoring it because they don't want the flack. Listen, it is the truth. I don't care what you think. I don't care what any other Christian thinks. This is what the Word of God says. And I'm not here to tell you that it's just an easy thing that to do. It's not. But ladies, it's what you ought to be getting on your knees and saying, God, help me. Help me to develop my inner man and help me to have that meek and that quiet spirit. And Lord, help me. Help me to be in subjection to my husband I'm not going to be afraid with any amazement. You don't have to be ashamed of that, sisters. Don't be ashamed of what God has told you to do. It doesn't matter if your neighbor looks at you in disgust and thinks that you're weak. It doesn't matter if you are trying to be a homemaker rather than being a career woman that's getting all of the accolades and looking good out there in public. It doesn't matter. It matters what the Word of God says. And so sometimes we just have to say, you know what, I don't know about this, Lord, but I'm going to trust and obey because this is what your word says. Now, you're not going to do it in your own power, but you can do it by the help of the Holy Spirit and just say, Lord, help me. Help me to be the lady that you want me to be. He will help you because he wants to help you. Now, look at verse number seven with me. I have this verse highlighted. I don't have verse one through six highlighted. In my Bible, why? Because that's really mostly my wife's mail. But my mail is verse number 7, and I've got it highlighted because I need to listen to this. It says, likewise, so likewise means there's some humility. 
likewise means that as a husband, I've got to look on the inner man, being a Christ-like husband, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together, watch this, we're talking about having joy, relational joy, being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. I've heard people preach, and I might have even preached it way back when, that if you're fussing with your wife, the Lord won't hear your prayers. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe it at all. Because sometimes there are fusses that you have with your wife that you didn't have anything to do with it. And same way with your wives. Sometimes you're maybe having a fuss or things aren't just marital bliss with you and your husband and it may not have anything to do with you. It may be all them. Now usually it's probably 50-50 or 60-40, but sometimes it's not you. And for the Lord, the Lord's not going to say, hey, I'm not going to hear your prayer. Now, I will say this, if you're not trying to make it right with your spouse, or for that matter, any other brother or sister in Christ, then the Lord may say, you know what, son, you know what, daughter, Uh, go take care of that, and then let's talk. The Lord's good about doing that. And so, gentlemen, husbands, you need to dwell with your wife according to knowledge. You need to try to understand her. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. What's the matter, honey? I don't know. And she don't. She doesn't have a clue why she's crying. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to have answers. Maybe they just need, okay, honey, right here is where this crying goes on. Right here. Come here. Let me hold you. You know, I I feel like such a hypocrite. I'm saying this like I'm the expert while my wife's sitting here listening to me. No, it's a learning process. It's a learning process. But it's the book, folks. It's what I need to do. It's what you need to do. We need to be Christ-like husbands so that we can be heirs together of the grace of life. We need to try to understand our our spouses, and we need to try to be what the Lord would have us to be. The grace of life, uh, that key word there, grace. You know, joy in marriage is dependent upon how much grace we show toward one another. It's not on how well that we please one another. I got several books in my in my bookshelf in my office. One of them is, and, and I'm not saying you can't glean some good information out of these, but one of them is his needs, her needs. And the whole concept is that we need to be meeting one another's needs. I understand that. But I tell you, a little subtle thing that can creep in, and all of a sudden we can think that marital joy is dependent upon how well we please one another, rather than it be dependent upon how much grace we show toward one another. Listen, I'm a sinner. My wife's almost a sinner. And so we have, sometimes we're, we're selfish. Sometimes we don't understand how we're coming. Sometimes we just, you, you're going to have times where it's not marital joy 24-7. What do we do? If you want to have some joy, I'll tell you the best thing we can do is to have a grace-based relationship, not a performance-based one. 
If you're expecting to perform or the other person to perform and be just exactly what you want them to be, you're, you can try and you may actually accomplish some changes in your spouse's life. But I got news for you. It's not going to produce the marital bliss that really that you're seeking. Marital joy in that relationship is going to be more dependent upon grace than it is performance. Fight it if you will, but the result will not be joy. Now, if you have a situation, a marriage, a home life that is just not the perfect scenario, let me just say this to you. You know, ladies, you may have a hard time being in subjection to your husband. You may have a lost husband that's really downright mean and evil and wicked. And you know what I would say to you, if that is your lot in life, just do the best that you can. You know, if your husband says, I want you to submit to me and we're going to the bar and we're going to drink beer. Listen, sister, say, no, I'm not doing that, honey. I will do anything that you want me to do as long as it is within the confines of being moral. I'm not going to displease the Lord in order to please you. But anything that is not unrighteous, I will do anything that you want. And if you will demonstrate that, the Lord will bless you for that. There are different circumstances. And listen, I can't preach this and teach this with a cookie cutter saying that everybody's just going to be the same. But I will say this, by the help of the Lord, if you'll exercise these basic principles and incorporate them in how... Listen, you can read every book on relational marriage and so forth. You can read them all and memorize them, but the nuts and the bolts are not going to help your marital joy until... You build it upon the foundation of these principles right here. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. You know, I find it interesting that the Lord put that phrase in there for us husbands. He said, I want you to love your wives. Don't be bitter against them. I, I would I would tend to think that as a man... And as an observer of other men, that men have a hard time keeping a short list. Sometimes we keep, we keep score. We keep track. And sometimes those things will build up and we'll say, well, you did this or you failed in that area. Listen, don't, don't bring up the past. Don't be bitter. Regardless of uh, your, of your wife, she may not be in subjection to you. She may be a piece of work. But you know what? Don't be bitter against her. Just keep loving her. Just keep loving her. Maybe that might make a difference. You know, Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And he didn't do that while we were all cleaned up. He did that while we were still wicked sinners. And he said, I'm going to accept you in the beloved. And then through our relationship, I'm just going to keep loving you. And I'm going to teach you what's the truth. And uh, that's how the church gets cleaned up to become more pleasing to Jesus Christ. And the same thing can potentially work in our marital relationships. Ephesians 5 verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. These are human nature needs that I don't care what our culture does, they are inherent 
within us. A husband wants to be respected and a wife wants to be unconditionally loved. As a a husband, I'm supposed to be the head of my home, but that is not so that I get my way. That is so that I can lead my home, my wife and my family in the right direction of joy in the direction that the Lord wants me to lead it. Submitting to your husband, ladies, is not that you're a dormouse and that you don't have a say-so, you don't have an opinion. That is not the relationship between Christ and the church. That is the perfect example. And just as you and I can have a relationship of joy with Jesus Christ, we can exercise these principles and have relational joy in our husband-wife relationships. Number two, I want to talk to you about the relationship of the pastor and the people. Now, a lot of people, I'm getting ready to say some things, teach you some things from the Bible, that some people would say, well, that's kind of self-serving, pastor. And yet I have to say that, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul is the one that said some of this, and he was talking about himself. And so as a pastor i got to teach you the whole counsel of God, and so I'm not going to be awkward or ashamed in telling you what the Word of God says, even if the relationship between me and you is at hand, at context of what we're talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 24 says, Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by faith ye stand. Now, Paul was an apostle, but he was also an elder. And he said at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, he said, Paul and Timotheus. Timothy wasn't, wasn't an apostle. He was a pastor. And so what Paul is writing, it's coming from both Paul and Timothy. So obviously this verse is contextual. It's accurate to be a representation of the relationship between a pastor and his flock. A pastor doesn't have dominion over your faith, but rather he is to be an example. He's to be a helper of your joy. Now consider what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 20. He said, for ye are our glory and joy. I think we looked at that last week briefly. So the people to a pastor, a good godly pastor, he looks at the people as his glory and as his joy. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter number 5 with me. Your Bible should still be open to right there. 1 Peter chapter number 5. And verse number 1 says, The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, so Peter's an apostle, but he's also an elder, and elder's another name for the pastor. The pastor talks about the office, the administrative office of a pastor. The elder talks about the character of the man who is the pastor. And he says, I'm also an elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And then Peter says to the other elders, he said, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And so this is the relationship between pastor and people, not by constraint. The pastor shouldn't be pastoring because he has to. 
and the way that he pastors should not be out of constraint trying to manipulate or to bully the people into doing the right thing. But rather, verse number three, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And so this is the relationship between the pastor and people. There's a crown of glory that awaits a faithful pastor. Paul said, ye are our glory and our joy. A relationship between a pastor and people should be a relationship of joy. You should bring your pastor joy and your pastor should bring you joy. That's the way that it's supposed to be. That's the way the Lord wants it to be. Now, Hebrews 13 and verse number 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And then in verse number 17 of the same chapter, says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with what? With joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Notice the relationship. Listen, when the people are constantly bucking the pastor, if the pastor is speaking the word of God and being a faithful pastor, then the Lord says, hey, there should be a mutual submission. There should be a servant. The the shepherd, the pastor is not a Lord. He is a servant leader trying to lead the flock into the truth of the Word of God and following Him, and that should be a joyous relationship. When the people in a church are giving the pastor all kinds of problems, it says that it's not profitable, that that creates grief for the pastor, but then also it says it's not profitable for you. I don't think it's profitable for the pastor either, but it's certainly not profitable for the people. Listen, Sheep need to have a shepherd. And and listen, what makes a good shepherd? Good sheep. What makes good sheep? A good shepherd. So it's a mutual relationship. And when we are all following the Lord and trying to do the right thing, when we have humility and we have responsibility, then then and only then can we have that relationship of joy. And let me just say this. I know that all relationships are a two-way street. It doesn't matter, husband, wife, pastor, people. They're two-way relationships. But let me just say this before we move on to the next point. I, I really am thankful and I appreciate the relational joy that we have here at Temple Baptist Church. And I just hope and pray by the grace of God that that continues to grow over time. I appreciate the past and that relational joy. I appreciate Brother Lonnie Wilson and Brother Mac Pennell, Brother James Childress. I appreciate their faithfulness to the Word of God. Brother Terry, I appreciate Brother Max being here. I mean, what a heritage of faithful men of God who have stuck to this book and have tried to live that example. It's a great joy, and it's a great privilege. And folks, not every church can say that. I mean, there is there have been all kinds of problems among churches and church splits. Sometimes it's the pastor's fault. Sometimes it's a deacon's fault. And by the way, let me tell you something. We got three deacons right here, and I appreciate these men. 
And you're looking at a pastor who enjoys deacon meetings. It's the truth. Am I telling the truth? My wife knows that. She's like, how long is your deacon's meeting? Oh, we don't have that much to talk about. It's not going to take that long. I get home three and a half hours later. What took so long? Well, just having a good time. The deacons are like, can we go now, preacher? I didn't say it was a joy to them. (laughs) But how many pastors meet with deacons? And it's not just, well, I better do it. I have to do it. But rather to be able to say, well, I'm looking forward to the next deacons meeting. I can't help but think that maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. A relationship of joy. Number three, I want to talk about our relationship with one another. Now, I'm going to give you something here that I'm just going to warn you right in advance. I'm going to show you something out of the Bible that if you'll really pay attention here this morning, you're going to see that it is going to, it's going to bust up some mentalities that are so prominent and prevalent in our culture today, as well as in Christianity. I'm going to tell you some things that have has busted up my mentality. I look back at some of my leadership and some of my Christianity and I go, whoa, Lord, I have missed the boat. I've had the right, I've been trying to accomplish the right thing, but I've been going about it all the wrong way. And I'm afraid that what I'm getting ready to show you from the Word of God, it is the norm rather than the exception among Christianity today. First of all, Ephesians 4 and verse number 2 says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing is just a, just a really easy way to say we're putting up with one another. We can't fix each other. We're not, we can't change one another to conform to our will. But, you know, we're going to love each other the way that they are. We're going to put up with each other. We all have good days and bad days. We all have faults. We all have quirks. Endeavoring, verse number three, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We cannot create the unity of the Spirit. And the Christian world today, there are many churches that are foolishly trying to create unity by focusing on unity. That never creates unity. Sometimes Some people are trying to create unity by let's just move the line a little bit, let's just throw all of our convictions, let's compromise, and hey, as long as we believe in Jesus and maybe three or four other basic doctrines, you know, let's just all get along. But let's throw everything else away. And, and, and that's why there's a whole book full of teachings here that get ignored totally because, listen, there are doctrines in this book that create division. Jesus Christ Himself said, I came not to bring peace on this earth, but a sword. Listen, when you follow Jesus Christ, anyone who's not following Jesus Christ, you're going to have division. And so to try to create unity without sanctification is futile. It just means we become liberal. We become worldly-minded, and that's not true unity. And listen, if you if you get rid of all of your convictions today for the sake of unity and just keep three or four truths, tomorrow you're just you're just gonna have to eliminate a couple more until 
pretty soon there's nothing really that Christianity is standing for. Endeavoring to keep the unity, the Holy Spirit, as we follow the Lord and as we live for Him, as we trust and obey, that in and of itself will create unity. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. We come together. We feel close to one another. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's bearing witness. Listen, I'm imperfect and I'm a sinner. You're imperfect and you're a sinner. But we're both trying to follow the Lord. We're praying. We're in the Word of God. We're trying to make decisions that honor Him. And what happens? That unity is produced. God can take a bunch of sinners and imperfect people and create a spirit of unity. He can create it. We cannot. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can certainly mess it up by getting in the flesh, by being stinkers, by being stubborn, by being selfish. Turn to Philippians chapter number 2. This is, this is the one. This is going to bust up a lot of Christian mentality. I'll tell you what. The mid-1900s. You know, there was, a, there was a big movement toward fundamentalism. A lot of churches started becoming huge. I mean, through a huge soul-winning movement, knocking on doors, winning people to Christ. And boy, there were mega churches that began to crop up all over this nation. Many of these churches, they turned, they, they began to have big Bible colleges and a lot of the big uh, fundamentalist Bible colleges that you see today are the result of the 1950s up to 1990s and so forth, when fundamentalism was growing big churches. And what happened is it became very pragmatic. Listen, results must mean that God did it. You know, we got big, God must have blessed us. And it almost became a competition among churches. Philippians 2, verse number 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, that's, that's actually feeling it in your heart. You, you, when you get around somebody and you have a good fellowship and a good, it, you just feel it. It just feels so good to be around like-minded people where you love each other. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I hate to tell you this, folks, but the Holy Spirit is not, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is not a competitive spirit. And you know what? We live in a day and age where the mindset and the mentality of people has been more indoctrinated by the sports world. Listen, I like sports. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not promoting a soccer. Listen, if I'm going to play soccer... I want you to keep score, okay? I want to know if I won or lost, okay? Please keep score. 
I don't care if I lose every game. I'd like to know that I lost, all right? So I'm not saying let's just have this. I'm not talking about sparing feelings, all right? But I am warning us that the God of America, which is sports, has saturated our thinking to where we've carried that over into church and ministry, and we think that it's a competition that we're striving for. Listen, we got to fill this church up. What's our goal? Hey, pastor, what's your vision for your church? You know what I say? I don't know. And they think, well, you're a bad coach. I'm not a coach. I'm a pastor. And we're not supposed to be out there striving and competing. We're supposed to be healthy and reproducing. That's what sheep do. Listen, if the if the if the the flock were to grow, then that's wonderful. But this competitive spirit is like, okay, well, there's a you know there's a handful of sheep over in that pasture. Let's get them over to ours because we're better than them. You know what? I, I believe this book right here. I believe this King James Version of the Bible is a perfect book. But I'll tell you what we got to be careful of is that if we think we have a perfect Bible and other Christians have different Bible versions, if we're not careful, we'll start thinking that we're superior to them. No. My book may be superior to their book, but that doesn't make me superior. I'm just thankful that somebody taught me that. We don't have anything that somebody didn't teach us, so why are we glorying as if we're better? And that has saturated. Listen, there are independent Baptists that think, well, we're better than other Baptists. Listen, God's not going to view us or judge us based on the title of the church that we attend. He's going to judge us based on what we have allowed His Holy Spirit to do in our heart and in our life as we follow the Word of God. We're supposed to esteem others better than themselves. Young men, they're going to teach you in school that you need to have a high... that something's wrong with you if you have a low self-esteem. Oh, I just don't feel like I'm worthy. I feel like that other people are better than me. Listen... The Bible says we shouldn't even be thinking about ourselves at all. And we're supposed to esteem other people better than ourselves. Well, I'm the captain of the ball team. So what? It doesn't matter. When it's all said and done, it doesn't matter what we can accomplish on a sports field. It doesn't matter what we accomplish in business. Church is not a business. It's a flock. And so please, if you're going to have joy, listen, we can strive, we can compete, and we can build and do all of those things, and we can be quite miserable doing it. I've said it before. Listen, I I know pastors all over this country that are good leaders, and they've read a lot of good ministerial leadership books, and they are very diligent in incorporating all of those techniques. And they're miserable, and they're insecure. And they're worried to death that somebody's going to leave their church. You know what? And I'm preaching to myself here. If I'm worried about you leaving my church, I ought to be worried about you and what's best for you. Are you growing in the Lord? 
It should be about loving the flock, not worrying about losing them. Don't get me wrong. A pastor loves his people. I've had people that have left that were really, to be quite honest with you, a real pain. And they left, and it still it still breaks your heart. It still hurts. Every pastor takes that personally. But let me just say, for the record, regardless of how I feel or anyone else feels about it, if you can grow in the Lord and you can prosper and have a better judgment seat of Christ by being in a different church, why would I want you to stay here if I really care about you? I hope that makes sense. I hope you're not minimizing or misunderstanding what I'm saying. The joyous Christian relationship is not competitive. And I'm taking too much time here. Number four, and I'm almost done. I want to talk about our relationship with the Lord. Uh, That's the most important one that's going to create joy. Uh, I don't have control over everything about my marriage relationship. I don't have control over everything about the pastor-people relationship. I don't have control about everything with our relationship with one another. But I tell you what you and I do have control over, and that is our relationship with the Lord. And the best thing that we can do is never forget what the Lord has done for us. Turn to Romans chapter number 5 with me. Romans chapter number 5. Thank you for your patience. I I promise you I'm almost done here this morning. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also, watch this, we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. If you want to have joy in your relationship with the Lord, don't ever forget what he's done for you. Mark these verses here in Romans 5, read them every day, and remind yourself what the Lord has done for you. Be obedient to him. John 15, verse number 9, the Lord said, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And then one last thing under this point is keep looking for his return. In John 16, verse number 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And now, therefore, and now ye therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. That's some pretty precious words right there. Jesus said, you're going to be hurting. I'm getting ready to leave, but I'm going to see you again. And your heart shall rejoice and your joy 
no man taketh from you. Don't forget what the Lord has done for you. Be obedient to Him and follow Him and keep looking for His return. In conclusion, relational joy is a rare and a wonderful thing. All of these four relational entities, it's just rare. Enjoy every moment of it. Listen, if you have a good day and a relationship, just be thankful and enjoy it. You may have a bad one tomorrow. You may have a bad day. You may, you know, your spouse may wake up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak. It, it happens. Sometimes I wake up and I just, I'm in a foul frame of mind. And once my wife did. It was like 17 years ago in October. At 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> Look at Psalm 133. <laughs> psalm 133. I, I love this psalm. It's a short little psalm. And I, I can't even really comment on on what all this means, but I, this is such a such a word picture. I can just picture what the psalmist is saying, and it just when I read this, it's just my spirit just goes ah, refreshing. Psalm one thirty three, verse one: Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together. In unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I, you know, I don't know how I'd feel if somebody dumped a bunch of oil on my head. And it ran down to the skirts of my garment. I'm not sure about the frost there, but you know what? I, I think I understand what the psalmist is saying. This is really refreshing. It's something that I, I can just, I don't know that I can picture it, but I just sense what the Lord's saying, how pleasant and what a blessing it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Cannot be helped. It cannot be accomplished without faith and without God's help. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Trust the Lord and he will give you hope, joy, and peace.